0: Right, hello and welcome back to the cine skinny it's the film podcast from the skinny magazine we're all here for the end of the year that rhymes and you know it rhymes it's me peter simpson with jamie dunn hello Heat barrows and lewis robertson hello. so today we are doing a roundup of the best films of 2022 on this the best film podcast of this or any year if you agree with that then you should subscribe to bah. you should subscribe to the podcast Nailed day you, know <laughs> you know what that is Lewis that's top quality promo work that's showmanship yeah <laughs> not just any showman the greatest showman we're um, yeah, all
1: very tired maybe we should like preface yeah I should explain it's minus it's
0: minus seven degrees yeah. outside we're recording four hours earlier than we normally would Anna heat has had five hours sleep five hours sleep Lewis I slept on a couch Lewis slept on a couch Why? Jamie I, I'm <laughs> full of Sudafed and limps up Because <laughs> I'm ill And I am trying to hold it together <laughs> The
2: wheels are coming off as we're stumbling across the finish line
0: Yes oh, But
1: So close <laughs> One
0: year of the podcast Because the first episodes we did were about the films of 2021 Yeah,
1: that's cute wow.
0: So yeah, look at us, eh? Mm-hmm. We like did life. it <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> not dying <laughs> Well <laughs> Um so yeah, we're back in Upload Studios in Leith. Josh has got the heating on. We're all having a lovely time. And we're going to talk about the films of 2022. So this is discussing the top 10 list from the December issue of the Skinny magazine, which you can pick up all over the shop. And you can also find at theskinny.co.uk slash film. Now, the way it works is we have like a big film writing team at the magazine. And we had 23 different film writers each picked 10 films. Then Jamie went and did maths and turned that into a top 10. We all voted in like mid to late November. I actually voted this year because I had seen more than 10 films. Uh, oh, congrats. I know, I, I'm doing it. I'm living <laughs> that dream. a dream of watching films, mostly in my house. And this list is comprised of films that came out in the UK this year. So we're just going to go through them from 10 to 1. We've talked about a few of them before, but we're going to go into a bit more detail about some of the ones we haven't. And then in the next episode that's going to come out in like a week or so's time we're going to do more of like a broken up bitty roundup of things that we have personally liked we're going to step away from being uh, held to this list and we're going to have some fun with fun things that and he has just scrolled down the plan and been like yeah that makes sense <laughs> cool so now that we're all on board let's roll um and the first thing we're going to talk about is the film that was at number 10 on this list which came out on the 1st of January 2022 Small World Look at us what a day etc cetera, etc cetera. Licorice Pizza the new Paul Thomas Anderson So Anahit, do you want to tell us a bit about this and why it's good
1: Yeah I fucking love this film so yeah it's of the year off on such a high Like, I watched it, and I was like, this will be, um, like, my top films of the year, like, immediately. Which is such a, like, bold thing to say in January. But then it did, because it was, like, really, like, it was that good. Um, So, yeah, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, and it stars Alana Haim from the band Haim, as well as her sisters, who play her sisters, which is all just, like, very charming and cute. And then Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, Cooper Hoffman, I believe his name is. And they play two kids kind of kids it's all like a little bit unsure he's definitely 15 and she says she's 25 she might be 25 she might be younger she's really trying to be like the cool adult and they develop this kind of strange little relationship where he really likes her she's very like no obviously not but then they have this like intense codependent bizarro friendship kind of relationship thing and it's just like taking place in 1970s LA it's like sunny it's like everything's brown and orange oh my god it's such a great vibe I think like all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films really are about like two little weirdos in a weird little relationship and some of them do that in like a really fucked up way and then some of them do that like this which Mm. is just like a little bit nice um it's so much about that kind of time in your life when you're that young when like wanting is the point. Like you just want so desperately to want something and to be wanted and to feel like the depths of your desires that you can just like put that onto anything in the world. Like these characters are like projecting onto each other, but there's something really beautiful about that because they just want it so badly. There's so many like, yeah, really beautiful character moments. Um, Like the kids are always like running. It's always just like sunny. Um, There's this point where like, Alana has, like, dressed up in a bikini to sort of impress Gary, but also not really because she's too cool. And then he, like, is getting with, like, an actual, like, 14, 15-year-old. And then she, like, throws a tantrum and storms off. And it's just, like, so quintessential. Like, you know, that feeling when you've, like, built something up in your head and then it's just disappointing. And it's, like, so good at those, like, little, like, yeah, character moments. I just, I loved it a lot. It's, like, a very, both, like, very innocent and very cynical film at the same time. I've been wearing a lot of wide leg jeans.
0: <laughs> In this weather. <laughs> In this,
1: yeah, actually, yeah. Like, the bottom of my legs keep going, like, really red because it's really cold. That's, my really, jeans are that's really
0: going to trap that Arctic.: <laughs> yeah. Um, Jamie, what did you think of Liquor's Pizza?
3: Yeah, I agree. I totally loved it. It's a great kind of hangout movie. Just have a kind of fun time. Really funny, sweet. The cameos are great. Um, everybody goes on about Bradley Cooper as John Peters, who was, like, um, Barbara Streisand's Crazy stry Sans, stry, stry sans <laughs> husband, um, but uh, but I think the best one is uh, is uh, Harriet uh, Samson Harris, who plays the kind of crazy. I guess she's the agent of uh, H- Hooper. Yeah, like her, the her scene is intense. It's like it's like what's something a David Lynch film. I love it, and obviously she was like BB and Fraser, which obviously she's really great at playing crazy agents. So yeah, I loved it. Um, I guess the one thing I, I would say about. Paul Thomas Anderson's films is I, I tend to end up absolutely adoring them, but only after the second watch. And I feel like I really want to watch this again because I feel like all his films need that kind of second watch. There's something about the way he ends his films that are always really ambiguous, yeah. and I never quite know if I'm meant to celebrate the fact the ending of this film where these two stupid kids get together or not. If, they, if, they're, if they're making a terrible mistake, and I, and and there's always kind of ambiguous. Is he been sincere or is he, is he kind of winking at us i never quite know i think has yeah, usually been sincere but it usually takes like kind of a couple of watches so i kind of want to watch it again but yeah for p- pure pleasure while you're watching it this film just has it all
2: i think it's funny that you point out like the ending being ambiguous because this to me is so much of a film that it's kind of like the aimlessness of youth like it doesn't mm-hmm. really have a clear ending like gary changes his sort of track so much he like starts out as a child actor and then becomes a waterbed salesman and then owns an arcade and i think he's 15 throughout all of this so it's like a busy year for him but like (laughs) you know he just sort of changes whatever there's no real driving force there's not like a strict plot it's sort of just about growing up everything isn't connected and you just do stuff and then all you get from it is like the stories of the things you did with the people that you shared that with The, the the john peters sequence loads of people really love i felt a little bit like oh i don't know if i'm gonna enjoy this because there's actually like an interesting story about this so john peters is like has has had some really nasty like stuff come out about his conduct on um superman returns like people say that he subjected crew members to a, a a like an environment of sexual harassment and around that time bradley cooper said that john peters only had a producer credit on A Star Is Born because he controlled the rights to the original. So it seems like Bradley Cooper was kind of trying to distance himself from Peter's and yeah, is depicting him in this, but does it in like the best way possible where he just does it as this like lecherous, insane (laughs) lunatic who is like, who has such this, this monstrous ego and ruins everything that our characters like take a personal revenge against him. So like, that was a delight. I think that, you know, there's a great dynamic sequence where she's like driving this truck without gas all the way down I, this hill. Yeah, that
1: is the one of the best sequences. But in like the just film. the build up <laughs> to
2: that, Cooper in this cameo is like so And that's the thing, is like when I heard that there was like a scene with Bradley Cooper, a scene with Sean Penn, I kind of just figured that they were like cameos. Like they were very brief. They were like not big fleshed out characters. But like no, they actually like take up a good chunk of time in the film. And that's kinda of, it's like they're little vignettes. They're like little stories of their own that like have their own endings but don't necessarily lead to one big plot
1: yeah it is that sense like you say of like passing through like life is just kind of happening around you and you're like drifting through it and it is just very aimless but in a way that feels like so like that's a good thing but the characters can't recognize that's a good thing and that's like what makes a really interesting tension like they're too young to be like no, this is the point of this part of life. Like, they just want to grow up.
2: I, I know that, like, we tend to be a bit, like, avoid spoilers, but also this film came out a year ago, or <laughs> whatever. Um, but, like, the end of the film involves them, like, running to each other and just, like, one flashback to another scene where they were running to each other at a different time. Like, that's, it, it's not some big, huge, crazy montage of all the great intimate moments they shared. It's just kind of that, like, the film ends as it was throughout like Mm. it has these two characters whether no matter what the relation the nature of their relationship they're just running to each other which I really liked that like really brought it together for me
3: I guess I mean why it works for me is it just rings true like Paul Thomas Anthony did grow up in the 70s his dad was like a game show host or something so he was surrounded (laughs) by celebrities so it's interesting that Peters is one of the only ones that they mention because like Sean Penn plays like a fictional character Mm -hmm. so I wonder who it's kind of fun trying to guess who those other characters are that because I'm sure he did bump into celebrities and and there is kind of lots of truth in this you know
0: well 2023 Paul Thomas Anderson game show that's (laughs) gotta be the hope so Licorice Pizza it's on you can stream it now can't you it's on Amazon Prime Prime. Yeah. yeah so that's one to watch over Christmas if like me you still haven't seen it yeah. Still haven't
1: seen it. Still haven't seen oh, it. Oh, it's
0: good. Yeah, I'm going to try and catch it over Christmas. <laughs> I went to catch it last Christmas when it had some preview screenings in Edinburgh and didn't. So maybe this year, I'll do better. <laughs> I feel like the like adverts never really did it justice. I didn't like remember feeling that
2: excited about this film when it was yeah. first coming out. Like It sort of was Miss Soul, I think, as a bit like a
0: schmaltzy, typical romance, which it's definitely not.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: for well, sure. Well, from one non-typical romance to another... Segway. Uh, so that was Liquor's Pizza. So number nine on this list of films of the year is uh, The Worst Person in the World, which is Joachim Trier's third film in his Oslo trilogy. This, I remember distinctly, played at Glasgow Film Festival and everybody loved it. And I was like, festival flash in the pan, how good could it be? And then it came out in cinemas and everyone still loved it. <laughs> and I was like, yay! Uh, so it stars Renata Rangsva as Julie, who's a 30-something woman living in Oslo and trying to like manage her, basically just not really being sure about what it is she's trying to do in her life in various different ways. But the thing about it is it looks and feels incredible. It's got some amazing visual flourishes. The vibes are very good as we say these days. So it's basically like a sad, cool, romantic comedy full of hot people and lovely Scandinavian architecture with a very, very good soundtrack. So that's really all you need to hear from me. Uh, the performances are all really great. Renata film in particular is brilliant. And I personally had it really high on my list of films of the year. I had it like second. I just really, really loved it. Um, but then I saw that like, so I think it was The Guardian had it at like 30th and was like, well, you know what? <laughs> Some people are just really wrong.
1: And we did better than them.
0: We did <laughs> do much better than them. So yeah, Worst Person in the World is on MUBI just now. And actually the rest of Trio's Oslo trilogy are also on there, which are these, yeah, films about kind of like, late 20s early 30s people in Oslo like living their lives and try just trying to find insert thing you're trying to find here (laughs) not in a kind of like national treasure sense they're more more emotional than that
1: I'd love to see him make national treasure (laughs) that would be great yeah (laughs) Uh,
3: it was interesting that these landed together because I guess there are a lot of parallels like you know it's this two women sort of going through a kind of midlife crisis, or a, a, not even midlife, but quarterlife crisis. Mm-hmm. But uh, what's interesting is this one is much more um, structured. It's like I think that's what really made this one sing. It has a kind of, kind of novelistic structure and the way it opens up, and each chapter is, is just like a little perfect mini short film. So so if so if you're not into the idea of this kind of loosey goosey, um, licorice pizza film, if you prefer something a bit more structured and a bit more kind of like tightly
0: constructed, maybe uh, Worst Best in the World is for you. Yeah. And this is also the film that if you listen back to when we talked about it the first time, this is the film that confused me with people standing still.
1: Oh God, yeah. So <laughs> that is
0: well documented. That was a whole discussion. That was a whole thing. We don't have time. There simply isn't time. <laughs> um so that was worst person in the world. So number eight on this list is happening. Now, I have a small confession to make, which is that I still have not seen happening. Oh god. Things are going well on the podcast. <laughs> so I'm gonna pass over to Anahu. He- Who definitely has seen happening. Yeah. To tell us a bit about happening, which you've kind of discussed a little bit, kind of in passing a couple of times. Yeah. It's always just been kind of at the fringes of like release schedules and us being able to talk about it.
1: Yeah. So I think it was at GFF and we like talked about it very briefly then. And then I think their release schedule was quite confusing. And so we weren't sure when it was coming. It was a whole thing. Anyway. But yeah, this showed at Venice last year in 2021 and then was released earlier this year. And it is an adaptation of Annie Arnaud's um, memoir of her trying to obtain an illegal abortion in 1960s France when she's kind of like a late teenager, early 20s type kind of ish. Um, I think it is quite genuinely one of the most important films to have been made in years and years. The title itself is really interesting obviously kind of it is also the title of her memoir and then in the film but this idea of so in French it's l'événement, which is like the event I guess and I think the whole film is really trying to um, unpick this idea of like what is happening like what is the act what is this event why are so some acts like given so much weight and others aren't how do you kind of pull these apart and I think that's just, like, within, like, obviously the conversation that we're having increasingly around, like, abortion rights and reproductive rights. Like, what does, why have we, like, politicised and kind of turned this single act into kind of the moment when there's so much that precedes it and so much that follows it? It's a really interesting film in that regard. I think what it does as well, which other abortion films don't do. And I will say we are actually living in like a really good moment for abortion cinema. Like there's so, so much good stuff. But something that I noticed with this one that I really loved is it kind of connects the need for reproductive rights with the need for women to have sex. So a lot of this is about like Annie's kind of desires. She's like a young woman. She just wants to kind of fuck guys in bars. Like that's what she wants. And it does like this really interesting thing where like the force of her desire is like intimately connected with this thing that she has inside her, that all of these like doctors and teachers and everyone is just like conspiring to be like, that's it. Like, that's what you just have to live with. And it like, yeah, really gets that kind of horrible, like caught between place between, yeah, that paradox that you kind of have to live that this is both something you want And then it's, like, this fate that's, like, put on you. It's just, like, really good at that. Really, really meticulous filmmaking. Like, this tight aspect ratio. Like, this kind of feels so claustrophobic the whole time. It's, like, shot with, like, this really interesting naturalism. Feels very, like, fleshy in a way. Which I think, again, is really interesting. Like, it's really thinking about, like, the body. Like, the body is a site of events, of things happening and of being controlled. And it's just so good it's so so remarkable um it was yeah it won the golden Lion at venice in 2021 and that really felt like i mean awards are usually such nonsense that it really was like oh someone someone made a good choice that's yeah. so nice <laughs> imagine yeah so,
3: so it won the award before um roe v Wade controversy mm-hmm. so like so like so it just became more pertinent like, yeah, yeah as yeah, the year went on as well yeah i've got to confess i feel really bad that i was planning to watch this yesterday um on because Mo- it's on maybe Mo- uh and I was just too ill to manage it it's okay you're Ill. But, uh, but yeah I, I really want to see it it looks amazing and
1: uh and I think yeah generally as well for because that was also the same year that Lingi came out which was that Chadian drama which was also about like um like a mother trying to obtain her daughter an abortion and I think just generally these conversations it was interesting that there was such a like movement of these right immediately before Roe v Wade fell um and I guess it's because you know that didn't happen out of the blue like Mm. this stuff has been like churning for quite a long time um but yeah it is interesting that like cinema is really like it's become quite like a focal point of like how do we talk about this
2: it's it's yeah because i think it's not reactionary it's Mm. not a post roe way Mm. thing it's it's reflecting like a sentiment that this horrible controversy this this failure in law is like not reflecting correctly Mm. um So yeah, that's really interesting to me. Yeah,
1: like this reality that... And I think another thing that I think is really interesting about this film, and I guess it's because I've been writing about this recently in like another context, but like most kind of abortion cinema kind of centers on like female solidarity. So it's kind of women helping women type thing, which I think is itself like a very like politically interesting thing, this idea that like the state won't help you, the patriarchy won't help you. Like they're deliberately trying to get in the fucking way. Um, and so kind of, you know, other women is sort of who you have other people who can become pregnant, like, you know, that sort of thing. But what's really, really interesting about happening is that everyone is against her. All of the other girls are also against her. and It's because they're scared. Like, this is illegal. This is something that they have been taught, like, could ruin their lives. And it's really, really good at being like, yeah like sometimes you can have moments of solidarity and you can have help and you can have this idea of mutual aid but also like the violence of the state can isolate you and it can leave you with nothing and I think having seeing that on screen also felt like I haven't seen that before even though there are so many other like really good like abortion narratives um yeah I think I think it's remarkable like really really good
0: yeah so it is on movie just Mm. now so if you're looking for something to watch over the Basically, if you've got some time to get caught up on things over the Christmas break, this is one to put... It's
1: like an easy one. It's not that long. And it is also very, like, it makes it sound so bleak, but it is, like, you know, quite gentle. Like, it's very, like, sun-dappled and, like, almost like it's been shot on Polaroid. Like, it's not, Mm. like... You could watch it, and it wouldn't, like... Well, maybe it would kind of ruin your day, but not in, like, a really, like, harrowing way. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is quite a quiet sort of easy-ish almost watch just because it's very beautifully done and really like it moves at like a really interesting pace so yeah basically just to say don't let d- do watch it <laughs>
0: yes watch this film yes <laughs> the film is called happening you should watch it yeah. um, and another film that starts with an h that you should watch <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what we call a segue do-, do you plan
0: these? No, they just come to me they come to me like kind of reveries I'm just like hang on a minute that letter's the same as that letter so number seven on this list is Hit the Road a film which we have talked about extensively so we're just going to kind of pass pass by didn't even mean that one um, well, I was going to say though it
3: is another film like happening that's become more I guess important as mm. years have gone on Yes. given that uh, Jafar Panahi is now currently serving a prison sentence
0: yeah so this is the debut film from pana Panahi, which is uh, who is jaffa's son and the film itself the kind of plot of the film is about a kind of road trip from this family who i have shorthanded as grumpy dad worried mother quiet and slightly sheepish older son absolute riot of a baby brother yeah, uh yeah traveling <laughs> in, in this um in this kind of four by four across the like kind of Iranian, a mixture of like kind of countryside and slightly like dank looking motorways and things (laughs) like that. Um, and it's just about the four of them going on this journey where you'll very quickly kind of get to understand what the point of the journey is. But one of the interesting things about it is very rarely just spoken out loud, partly because they're trying to keep it from this kid brother who absolutely incredible film performance like a film performance you know like you have in a film absolutely <laughs> incredible performance by the kid the child actor ryan Salak, who yeah just really full of energy full of life but also still has range mm. this is the thing you either get like child actors who have range but they seem a bit like they've been programmed by a robot or they just run around screaming
1: Also like genuinely funny. And I think that's the thing is often with like, when you're trying to make like a cute kid, you just make them so fucking obnoxious. (laughs) Like, oh my God, ban children. But he like can literally like match his father's like kind of sarcasm tone for tone. And so he really gives him this like adult sense of humour and this child body, which like works so well.
0: Yeah. There's just that, I think it was, we were talking about the other day, Lewis, and you said there was that one bit where they're in the car and the kid is like, Let's go, <laughs> and then they
2: reverse, and they
0: reverse out of frame
2: in the opposite direction. Yeah. It's the film that I think of these ten films. It's the film that I think that I like look on, but look back on most heartwarmingly. Like it, like I, just every time I remember something about it. So when we did the episode of it on the podcast, we talked about the really really long monologue where they're talking about like Batman's car, and it's just naff. But like whilst they're just monologuing this, we ascend into space because it's about how you know just talking shit can like kind of make your troubles literally float away or how like even just like that they all call each other like dickhead and stuff like that <laughs> like it just like it makes me smile every time i think about it it's such a nice film
3: yeah and then that's what's so great about because the tone is fantastic because it is hilarious it is like joyous to watch but it's 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 actually heartbreaking as well like o- like on the surface it's just like pure pleasure but underneath it all is this kind of deep melancholy and sadness of you know this family who's going to be ripped apart and, and the reason, you know, in the, in the background to why they have to be ripped apart. Yeah, it's, it's just Brownfield. He's a real kind of chip off the old block. Mm. Yeah.
0: So Hit the Road is also on movie I believe. So yeah, so that was number seven. So, so far we've had Licorice Pizza, Worst Person in the World, Happening, Hit the Road. Number six, Slight Chain. Well, actually, still kind of a funny film. Still kind of a melancholy film.
1: These segues are getting worse. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Lewis. We need to recognize the pattern. Lewis, Banshees of Inisherin. go.
2: Banshees of Inisherin is a very good film. It is funny, <laughs> but I we did say this when the episode of it came out, that like all the funny bits are in the trailer. So be prepared for like a slightly more tragic film. But it's uh, Martin McDonough reuniting Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Um, it's not like one of his so hitman films. Um, the violence in this film is very understated compared to his previous works. So, you know, there's no like mad psychopaths or whatever but it's like a village idiot and a grumpy neighbor um it's it's very much about understated violence like shutting the door on an annoying friend can be super like can be reckless it can beget really significant tragedy even self-harm so the iconic line where Brendan Gleeson vows to cut a finger off for each time Colin Farrell tries to talk to him winds up having adverse consequences for everyone else um it is always told in the back, like, as, as a back, the backdrop is the Irish Civil War, so just across the, the Irish Sea, there's the mainland where you can just hear artillery happening, and that's all the evidence that we even get, that there's people living over there, what sort of, like, it, it never gets, I think, to the complex level of the me- metaphor it's trying to do, it never really gets to, like, capturing the really historical tit-for-tat tragedy that was the Troubles, like, What could be, like, a really emotional chess match or Western showdown never gets, like, to that level. And it's, in part, I think it's because Colin Farrell is playing a character who is just, like, emotionally on the surface. He doesn't have any need to, you know, plot things or conspire. But that is also kind of the film's emotional core, is that like he, is, he just wears his emotions on his sleeves. He reacts so viscerally to everything. He doesn't understand why things have to be more complicated than they are. It's really heartbreaking in that regard. But also, you know, they Brandon Gleason and Colin Farrell are mature enough actors to know kind of when to make this rather ridiculous plot feel ridiculous and when to make it feel tragic. So it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. It is quite tragic it is martin mcdonough kind of on form i think it's definitely like a really good one of his and i recommend it it's got a great pastoral feel it's got a great like i don't know it's just, my mum is irish and and talks a lot about like how she grew up in ireland and it like really takes me there it's like very it's very <laughs> authentic
1: looking <laughs> um i would also like to shout out my boy barry keoghan <laughs>
2: barry keoghan carrie condon is very good yeah he's yeah.
1: very good i to me he's like the emotional core of the film like he kind of ties it all together because he's just so weird and so like wide-eyed and innocent and it's just you just want a little baby he's had a good year yeah oh he's had the best year
3: yeah it seems like this is emerging as like a real kind of like awards front runner like mm. i think colin Farrell is is like one of the favorites now to win Best actor, which I think would be really well deserved. I think it's a great performance. Um, I'm sure the script, original script, it's got a good chance. But I think it's a film that a lot of people will like because it's, you know, it's like a. It's a, it's easy film to show people because the script is great, the acting's great, you know, like it's, it's just a solidly made film. And I think what makes it. Why it's going to resonate is because I think it does. It's trying to say something, you know, it's not just like pleasurable back and forth, it's like there's, I think there is a kind of underlying message. I don't know quite know what that message is because I think that what for me the biggest kind of uh why I recommend the film is it's almost like Beckett it's like it's got mm-hmm. a kind of kind of like uh absurdist streak which mm-hmm. I like um so it's not exactly realistic you know it's all a lot of metaphor like like the like the character's behavior is all kind of uh nonsensical if you think about it you know uh, Brendan Gleeson character wants to the reason he, he, he says he doesn't want to be friends anymore because he wants to concentrate on his uh becoming a, a musician or, or, or continuing his work but then he cuts off his fingers which mm-hmm. stops him being a musician so it's so, a so it's a film that's like a yeah there's an assertive streak which i love about it i
0: have not seen it unfortunately so <laughs>
2: <laughs> what have you seen
0: i've seen the next one that's a segue um so yeah banshee savannah Sharon is still in cinemas And I think it'll be coming on Disney Plus. I think it's coming on Disney Plus by the end of the month. Which is just wild to think about. It's like the
2: first, like, good Disney Plus film. (laughs) First reason to get Disney Plus.
1: Is that true?
0: Hocus Pocus 2? No? (laughs) (laughs) I stand corrected. (laughs) Hocus Pocus 2, unfortunately, does not feature on this (laughs) list. Um,
1: (laughs) Surprise number one.
0: (laughs) The twist no one saw coming. (laughs) So that was the Banshee's of have sharing. Number five, Nope, which I have seen. Uh, so this is Jordan Peele's new film starring Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer and Steven Yoon. Now Kaluuya and Palmer play OJ and M Haywood who have taken on their dad's kind of horse ranch and horse wrangling for films business. And they kind of have this working relationship with Jupe, who is a former child star who stopped being a child star in quite horrific circumstances, and now and is now kind of theme park impresario. Um That's a good word. Thank you. Okay. See, good <laughs> words, poor knowledge. Balances out in the end. Um so yeah, they have this kind of working relationship with with Dupe to like provide horses for his sort of like cowboy-themed outdoor theme park and then weird things start happening, and this is a film that is a kind of very strange summer blockbuster, but it was very much, everyone was in, no spoilers, don't tell me anything about what happens in Nope before I go and see it mode uh, the whole time, until they had got a chance to see it, then they all came out being like, I want to talk to somebody about what (laughs) happened in Nope, get away from me, I haven't seen it yet, Um, so yeah, Jordan Peele, director of get out and us kind of turning slightly more in a kind of like steven spielberg mode as someone has put in the notes yeah I, I think that's jamie he's jamie. looking right at me
3: yeah <laughs> this is a film that really kind of grew in my head like i really enjoyed watching it uh it was great fun and really imaginative but yeah i just couldn't stop thinking about it like uh it's just f- so rich with like meaning and stuff um yeah and i think this is spielberg a uh, spielberg-esque in that it's like it's re- reminiscent of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Jaws. But what makes it great is Peel's taking this kind of blockbuster template but also weaving through like really kind of rich political ideas and you know political meaning throughout it. So yeah you get these siblings who become obsessed with like along with this kind of motley crew of other people of getting evidence of a flying saucer or a flying object in the sky. Um, I don't want to spoil exactly what the thing is but um but yeah, it's, it's, it's so symbolic, you know, what is this, what does this mean? Like a lot of people have said, uh, this is essentially cinema or Hollywood, you know, it's this kind of, I think it's really interesting the interpretation because it's this kind of square object, which if you look at it, it sucks you up and spits you out, which is like what the characters are, are, I feel like, you know, like it's what's happened to all the characters in the film, they've all been sort of in some way, um, sort of treated badly by show business. Um so it's, it's interesting, it, and it's also been categorised as a sci-fi, but actually it's much more of a Western, and I, and I really like how Jordan Peele is taking this form, this Western, which is like, I mean, I love Westerns, but we've got to admit they did erase people of colour from the Old West. And, and he's just what he's done is he's taken the Western format and he's just filled it full of, uh, you know, pe- people of colour. There's no kind of white saviours here, so you've got this brilliant sister who are African-American, you've got this theme park, theme park entrepreneur guy uh, played by Stephen Young, uh, who was a child star in this kind of really racist cis- sitcom, who's uh, Asian American. You've got, uh, uh, the, my, probably my favourite character is Brandon... Pera, I think his name is, who's the kind of Mexican... Ah, oh, the kid. No, he's the, the Mexican security expert. Expert. And, <laughs> uh, quote marks. And he's the kind of a skeptic. He doesn't think this is going to work. But uh, he
1: just wants to be involved.
3: I know. <laughs> oh, it's, it's really sweet. He's really, really fun. Yeah. And, see, yeah. yeah. and
0: the way that he appears in the film as well is that uh, Daniel Cullio's character just goes to, like, a kind of big box, like, um, tech shop. Radio shack. Yeah. And he's like, I want to buy a bunch of surveillance equipment. I think I can see something out my window. And the guy's like... I'll come and give you a hand, <laughs> and he comes back the next day. And it's like, how are you getting on with that surveillance equipment? It's like, just come, come in, come <laughs> yeah. in.
3: Yeah, so it's like a real kind of motley crew. I love it. I love the kind of gang that, that they put together. They also get like a crazy cinematographer who gets involved later on. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really potent with that with the ideas. Like, there's a kind of main theme that runs through it. There's like, I think it's this is how it starts. Actually, you see that famous clip of a the, a horse being uh, filmed mm. for the first time, and it's like a. a Something you've probably seen loads of times. It comes up loads of places. It's really one of the first pieces of American cinema. Basically, it's the first kind of moving image in American the American canon. But what you probably don't know is the man riding the horse is African American. He's, he's he's the first sort of movie star was black. He was a, the first stuntman was black. And that's Jordan Peele just basically correcting history. And I think the whole film is about like Hollywood history. And there's lots of kind of lovely kind of nods. And, and, and just like loads of stuff i want to see again and sort mm-hmm. of pick up more meaning because like once you get to the end of it that's what i mean it's like a film that just plays over and over in your head again and what does it all mean what what is it about um so yeah that's that's why it's so rich i think it's a film i can go back to again and again and find loads more I, yeah. I i really like this film i went in with
2: a little bit well i was obviously like expecting something quite horrific but i went in with this other bias which is that i don't know if people will agree with this aliens are hard to make scary like I think that in most horror, it turns to be like ghosts or demons or whatever, because then you can like fuck with the laws of physics and ghosts can just do or be or look like anything. But like, I'll admit there were bits where, oh, there's sort of a flying saucer behind this cloud. And I'm not feeling the tension because I'm just like, well, I know what a flying saucer is. There's no point in obscuring it with a cloud. There's no tension here. But by the third act, you know, the saucer is not what it seems. We've got like a ragtag group of rogues who all have their like, little stories and personalities we've got a clear goal uh like the minor dull things in the first two acts like a scene where a horse gets spooked in a green screen commercial suit uh, shoot or uh kiki palmer accidentally photobombing a tourist trap camera they like turn out to have meaning in unexpected ways so it's like a really rewarding watch it's just that like i was kind of like ah, oh, i'm I'm smarter than this film like i know what's coming it's an alien and then no i'm actually really really invested and really really enjoying it um, and it's not that like it's not that the ali- it's not that it's devoid of scares. It's just that the horror energy never really comes from certain scenes. Uh but there's this this B plot character backstory that confirms and sort of shares my long-standing opinion that monkeys are fucking terrifying. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um and again, I know we're not so spoilery on this, but the first shot of the film, like the opening shot of the film, I'll just describe it, is um a sitcom soundstage with a studio audience who appear to have evacuated in the middle of the applause queue with a bloodied girl just out of shot and a costumed chimpanzee it's like it's a horror film it's like a horror story in one shot it's so good I think that when it came out, I went around like asking people, do you rank this like above or below Get Out or Nope or what, uh, or Us? And I think that was like the wrong question to ask. I just think that it's like a totally different thing. It's structured so differently, themed so differently. It's really its own thing. And I'm so glad I watched it. It's such a good film.
1: I think he is genuinely one of the most interesting filmmakers working at the moment um, and there was like a lot of pushback when the Sight and Sound poll came out like last week or whatever. And he was like, Get Out was on it. And there were people that were like, oh, how can you like tell like a film studio? But like, he's genuinely like one of the most interesting filmmakers working at the moment. And everything he does is just so innovative and so fresh. And I think, yeah, you're right. Like I was also kind of going into it being like, how will this sit within like his canon? And I think what's so interesting about Jordan Peele's filmmaking is that there's this, like, thread that runs through, right, like, this kind of horror element, but each one, the way that it engages with horror is so, so different, so, like, Get Out really is that kind of psychological, like, that idea of, like, the metaphor of racial kind of violence, and, like, it's so, like, tightly done, and then Us has, like, that real kind of, like, intruder horror, like, a lot more kind of visceral, a lot more sort of up in your face and then this one is just so fucked up and weird (laughs) and it just like you say it just gets under your skin that thing that happens again won't say but yeah with the girl that you were saying at the very beginning how it goes for her is like wherever i think like it just makes me feel like (laughs) Oh. <laughs> it,
2: it, it like you know again opening shot of the film and there were like audible yeah. oh my god in the it's audience so it's just like bleak. just an absolute like confrontation with such horrific stuff yeah, yeah, all yeah. in one shot but then it's we really come back impressive. to it as well the structure is really yeah. interesting it was yeah, 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 the yeah. Realm. it really like cuz again like i say like the second act you're a little bit like mm, where is this going but that kind of B plot keeps you on the edge of your seat it's really well made
1: and i can't think of another filmmaker who is always doing something different but always delivers what you want and what you expect from them and not in a way that feels like oh this feels like his earlier film but like not as good but it's also like oh but this is the same like genius mind behind it and it's just like the range that he has that he can kind of cover is just so remarkable and yeah like you say to have made like a horror film about the idea of Hollywood like kind of devolving into spectacle increasingly like Marvelous found dead in a ditch like it's just so like who who else could make a horror film about that like it's wild like yeah. what is he doing yeah. it's amazing
3: but, and that's the thing is as well as just dissecting all these kind of social anxieties and stuff and and, and and you know looking at the film business it's just also just like just on a craft level mm. amazing like like you see it it's so innovatively you've seen a million alien films a million flying saucer films and yeah you think oh okay they're, they're, there's nothing else you can do and then he comes up with this really imaginative innovative creation I
0: just, yeah I was, I was mind-blowing so before we just go keep talking <laughs> and spoil the whole film Uh, Yeah, so Nope is, potentially there might even still be one or two cinema screenings left, but you can definitely like rent it on like various Mm -hmm. online platforms. I don't know if it's getting like a streaming, streaming release anytime soon, but you will be able to watch it over the Christmas period if Mm -hmm. you want to. See
1: it on the biggest screen you can. Yes. It's stunning. It
0: does look really, really good. So yeah, that's Nope. That was number five. Number four, we're going to come to you, Jamie, and quickly go through Memoria, which is the new film from Apichatpong, Virasathakul, starring Tilda Swinton,
3: yeah, I'm Girl. really, I'm really glad this made it onto the list, actually. Um, so this is uh, where Seth goes first film outside his native Thailand, uh, and but but you know, as often happens with film uh, filmmakers' moving country, they usually change the style. That he hasn't compromised anything. This is still really dreamy, otherworldly. You know, very much a piece with all his other films. So it follows Tilda Swinton this is this kind of British uh, botanist who's visiting uh, Colombia. And she starts to hear this kind of weird sound that no one else can hear, but we can hear it as well. It's this kind of thud that happens in the night and it keeps recurring. And, 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 and much of the film is her trying to ex- explain this sound to people and trying to kind of like sort of ex- explore what it is. But then the film sort of spreads out and opens out and it becomes much more about a kind of meditation on memory and time and place and explores how kind of the scars of violence and colonialism sort of still linger, you know, so it's like, it's, it's his style, but he's very much making a film about Colombia now as well. So yeah, it's very mysterious, dreamy, um, and most of the time you're just kind of watching Tilda Swinton's character and I kind of, you know, sort of trying to kind of tune into this strange new country she's in. So, so in one level it's actually just a great film about capturing that kind of outer body experience of like when you go travelling, you know, particularly a country that's very different from your own. Um, you know, where you kind of get lost in the sights and sounds and smells of this new place. So like a, it kind of works as a kind of dreamy travelogue if you're into like films sit, take, that transport you somewhere else. But it's also uh, working on that level of, you know, exploring time and dreams and, you know, a country's history. So it's, yeah, it's, it's working loads of levels. He's, he's, he's one of the great filmmakers, I think, uh, one of the most innovative filmmakers working right now. And yeah, I'm glad that it can resonate with our writers.
0: Yeah, because I've not really seen much of uh Arthur films, but you talked a bit about them on an episode earlier in the year about a bunch of his short films playing like an all-night screening in Glasgow and it was to try and encourage everybody to like nod off a bit basically yeah. and have a kind of weird, slightly woozy experience. It sounds like a bit more of that. Yeah, that's
3: exactly the vibe. His films are kind of, is it some some bla- somblistic? That's not the right word, is it? What's the word? No, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's is something, is yeah. perfect. That's the word, yeah, uh, you know, he, he, he does, he, he, he said that he's actually quite happy if you nod off, you know, because he, he likes the idea that your dreams also mingle with his, his films, which are like very dreamlike. But yeah, th- this one's, I think, maybe going to get, a, it's probably got a bigger audience because it's, it's partly in English. Um, it's got Tilda Swinton. it's this first film with a kind of major star. But yeah, o- o- off the back of this, I would love to see him sort of do other stuff outside of Thailand because it hasn't changed the style, it hasn't kind of watered it down. It's just maybe made it more accessible because it's it's sort, of, sort of, you know
0: you don't have that language barrier. Yeah. Mm. So this one's on the BFI player just now, so you can watch it. So that is *Memoria*. You want to talk about a film that takes you on a journey? Film at number three takes you on a number of different interlocking journeys all at once. It's everything everywhere all at once. And his face was just like, <laughs> "Where the hell's he going with this?" <laughs> so everything everywhere all at I once. Had faith. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can see why you wouldn't. But there you go. Um, so everything everywhere all at once i think is the best multiverse film the best kind of martial arts action film and one of the best comedies of 2022 all at the same time it's directed by daniels who previously made swiss army man which is the paul dano and daniel radcliffe riding a body around a small island film and it kind of simultaneously manages to do a lot of stuff around like the intergenerational trauma between michelle yo's character evelyn and her daughter it manages to like tackle these ideas of like being of the kind of sadness you feel when your life hasn't quite worked out how you expected it would, but it also has these like absolute balls to the wall fight scenes with people getting like throttled with bum bags. It also has weird touches of like surrealism, and like strange like love stories that flit in for a moment and then come back later on, and like a whole load of other stuff. All besides that as well, it is as the title Everything Everywhere All At Once would suggest. A lot. But I would say that if you're looking for something to watch over Christmas and you need something to really like shake you up a bit, if you've eaten too much and you're feeling a bit like I've forgotten how to think (laughs) uh, because I've been like surrounded by family or just like I'm completely full of quality street, then this is like two and a bit hours that will like shake you right out of there. It's really, really good, really funny. And yeah, the action is just really good. It's often, you, you don't often get a film that is able to do those two things to an extremely high standard. You get your kind of like rush hours where like one of the things doesn't quite work. They can't quite work at the same time as each other. It reminds me a lot of um, films like Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer has a very similar mm-hmm. kind of air to those where it like is able to work on a number of different levels, but crucially like the, the scrapping all still works. Yeah, so I really enjoyed Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I think is still I think it's maybe shown at the cameo in a kind of extended edition at some time between Christmas and New Year. I think the extended edition has There's like more everything
2: everywhere all at once. I think I think <laughs> it's not on, everything. <laughs> you think
0: we didn't cover everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> everything everywhere all at once and some other stuff as well. I think it's some like outtakes and like a director intro oh, and okay, stuff like cool. that. Yeah. So.
3: yeah. I was going to say it's good that we've got couple of actual proper blockbusters on the list as well because like mm. I, I was going to say one film that just narrowly missed the list as well was uh Top Gun Maverick
1: Yep, baby <laughs> so
3: yeah so so yeah how good is it to have like three or four really excellent crowd-pleasing blockbusters like nope, like uh, that you're not else?
1: embarrassed to have on a list exactly
3: yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know and it's like and and these I think these films all three of those really just show that Marvel is not the way you have to go you know you can be you can make big huge exciting movies but also have ideas and kind of filmmaking craft behind it you know and these are films that are v- feel very handmade but they're huge as well you know it feels like there's actual an artist behind them so that mm. you know, we used
1: to like do a drinking game where like, every time we bitch about Marvel <laughs> just, like, take a shot. I feel
2: like Marvel have also just have had like an exceptionally bad year.
1: It's another shot. <laughs> <laughs> it's have.
2: too it's too hourly for like, show I for hold this. them to like a pretty high standard because it's Marvel they've like kind of got to do but they've just had a shit year. Like I've not really been tuned into Marvel at all. I saw the new Thor one and that's Taika Waititi and it just sort of felt like a a decent episode from a sci-fi show. That sucks, yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, New Black Panther was alright, but the rest of them Mm -hmm. that I saw were kind of shit. Anyway, kind of shit things aside, because we've got two more films to discuss on this list. And at number two, it is the new film from Park Chan-wook, the director of The Handmaiden and Old Boy and other things of this nature. Decision to Leave. Neo-noir, slightly Hitchcockian very, very good. Jamie, please continue this line of thought. Yeah, I mean, with this your is just, thoughts this is just on the like decision to leave.
3: Awesome filmmaker. I think this is like for if I was gonna maybe choose a director of the year, I might choose uh part of time wiki. Just like yeah, he's so confident in this filmmaking style. So yeah, it's like follows a detective who basically becomes obsessed with the woman uh he's investigating, who's this woman who perhaps has been involved in her uh, husband's murder. So it's like a kind of sleep in the enemy type thriller. And it's a kind of, why it works is it's, a, it's it's a film that's very familiar in a way. The plot is very familiar from like films like Basic Instinct, you know. But what makes it amazing is just the invention of Wick's camera, you know. Like he, or Parks' camera I guess, that's how you say his name. <laughs> um, uh, he <laughs> he, he, he visualises obsession in, in a really interesting way, you know. This guy is basically stalking this woman. He's obsessed with her and he finds a way to visually make that work where where the two people become a, a person who's observing someone becomes in their space and he uses space and time in, in really interesting ways yeah it's just very beautifully constructed just breathtaking use of the camera very funny he's like a, a great he's great at tone like um it's like it's very sexy and romantic but it's also a goofy cop movie as well and yeah it's got a good twist it's like very satisfying a very satisfying watch
0: yeah, I really enjoyed this when I saw it. Um, I think that maybe... Maybe it didn't quite grab me as much as some of his other films, but I, the thing that I really enjoyed about it, I think I said this to Anahit, was that it does the thing that Speed does, where it has, like, <laughs> the story, and it, like, outlines all the parameters of it, and then it kind of does it again shortly after in microcosm, because yeah. the whole thing of the film is that one character is trying to get another character, character's attention, and then just does the same thing again, but slightly accelerated to be like, now I've really got your attention. <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyable, really well acted. And yeah, does have that thing of like, very, very funny, dry dialogue, lovely stuff. It is also on movie.
1: Yes.
0: A good year for movie. Mm.
1: Yeah, movie are killing it, holy shit.
0: They're doing a good job. And they've done possibly the best job of all with the number one film on this list. If anyone wants to... Don't shake your <laughs> head at me. Yeah, so the best, the number one film on this list. You'll never guess what it is. That's right. It's After Sun. <laughs> uh, I feel Wells, like you were waiting for us to
2: all say it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no.
0: Yeah, Charlotte Wells' debut film starring Frankie Corio and Paul Mescal about a father and daughter on a package holiday in turkey in the 1990s i really i'm gonna go around and ask everyone to try and say something about this film that they haven't already said because it's just like so we've talked about it quite a lot but it is an absolutely incredible bit of filmmaking
2: so if we're bad-mouthing marvel um (laughs) and and really we (laughs) we are it was the uh omni-center view that we saw this in right yeah so like the like, it, it it clarified for me the, the, the myth that tense emotional dramas belong in small art house cinemas, whereas, like, superhero blockbusters belong in the big ones. Like, this is so not true. The finale of After Sun with this, like, Freddie Mercury, David Bowie needle drop and, like, just the emotional, like, strength of that moment whilst seeing it, like, on a huge screen it, like, gave me, like, goosebumps. It, like, brought out such a physical reaction for me. Um, It was, like, a a 4D experience. It was, like, an IMAX 4D experience. But, obviously, it's, like, not necessarily dynamic or action-packed. It's just that, like, you now have such an investment in this film by the end of it that it can really, like, bring out a physical reaction.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, it does. And there's so many scenes in it. There's so much of the composition is like looks amazing on those big screens all those shots of like crossfades of you know blue skies with just there's this recurring thing about the paragliders that are just always like hovering in the background always like giving you this idea that like other people are doing fun things and you can see them over there and there's a couple <laughs> of them in that corner yeah it just it looks so good and I think that so often when you think kind of like you were saying about happening you think like oh first film family drama scottish filmmaker you don't think that it's gonna look very kind of sunny you don't think it's gonna be this kind of you you think nostalgic and you have a certain kind of nostalgia in your head but this film does a really and yeah we've talked about this a lot it does really interesting things with like nostalgia and memory and how you process things that have happened in your life Mm.
3: yeah I think this has been... Well, it's probably my favourite film of the year and it's probably my favourite one to speak to people about. I feel it's been really enjoyable just chatting to people because it's a film where Charlotte Wells, her filmmaking is really interesting and in that she leaves a lot unsaid. You know, it's just full of these ellipses and sort of kind of expressionistic moments where it's not exactly clear what's going through the character's head. So you've got to bring a lot of yourself to this and I think that's why people are finding it so emotional because they're bringing a lot of baggage to it. You know, I feel like people... If you've got a interesting relationship with your parents, or 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 you're thinking about your parents, it it, it can really that's the film that's what it's doing. It's kind of, it's it's asking you to bring your own story to the the filmmaking, which is really interesting. And I've went back and watched uh, Charlotte Wells's short films as well, and you can and she's, you know, this is not a flash in the pan. She's been great clearly for years. Well, she's got one film called Tuesday, which I think is basically. You could say it's almost like a, pre, uh, a sequel to After Sun, you know, they're, they're, they're connected in some way. And another one called Lapse, which is fantastic too. But yeah, she just has this amazing technique of understating stuff. You know, she she just has the confidence not to tell you exactly what's happening, but she trusts that you'll work it out from the performances and the and, and just the the use of sound and the use of music and the use of the image. And yeah, and I think that's why people are getting really excited about it. And I, I remember that night of what we all watched it at the opening of Edinburgh Film Festival, um, and yeah just people are really excited to chat about it at a party and that's just so unusual for a movie you know um, so yeah that's and, and I just can't wait to see it again actually because I'm sure more viewings will, will pull out new things because it's like I say there's like lots of space for you to sort of find things in the movie
1: yeah I think also yeah talking about kind of what have we not mentioned before I feel I kind of see this film so much through the lens of Charlotte Wells cause like just her vision and the way that she does it is like so singular to her and so, so beautifully done. And I'm so in love with her. <laughs> but um, Frankie Cario, we Livingston girl, I think like really does, I think there has been like a big conversation around her, but like really, really deserves like a fucking huge conversation around her because she is incredible. Like it is really a two-hander between her and Paul Mascal. He is obviously great. But she is, like, talking about kind of, yeah, child performances, the subtlety that she brings to this, like, the complete unaffectedness and the way that she kind of, like, brings her own sense of discomfort to uncomfortable parts. So, like, I think a lot of that scene where, um, like, her father persuades her to, like, play water polo and she's trying to say that she's not a good enough swimmer and then she's just, like stuck amidst all of these like older people and she just looks so like lost and I think that kind of bringing that self-awareness of what it means to feel like on the fringes of things as a child and not quite like big enough to stake out your place in the world yeah I don't know if I could have articulated how I felt like that when I was that age but when I see her I'm like yes that's how it felt all the time being that like being like 12 11 and it's just so yeah, it's so remarkable. Like, I'm excited to see what else she does, but I'm also, like... Yeah, I'm really fascinated to see what else she does because she's just so connected to this film in my mind. That
2: that, that really, like, on-the-ball depiction of, like, how it feels to be very little in a very big world mm. is done kind of to a reverse effect with, like, her seeing older people kissing and her yeah. having her first kiss and stuff like that, where you sort of participate because it's something that you are expected to participate in and there's like a bit of a blurred line there there's a bit of ambiguity in that performance it's a very very like difficult thing to nail and she does it's so great
1: it's so great yeah
0: it is the film of the year yeah um you can watch it on movie, as we keep saying about loads of these films that we've liked. There's maybe a clue there about the kind of people who host this podcast. But there you go. Um, so yeah, it's and I think it's potentially still on in cinemas. And yeah, it does. It is. It works on so many levels. But try and see it somewhere with a good sound system and nice bright colours. Mm-hmm. Looks lovely. So yeah, that's after the sun. So the full top ten: Licorice Pizza, worst pasta in the world. Happening. Hit the road. Banshees of Inisherin. Nope. memoria, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Decision to Leave, and After Sun. Those are the 10 best films of the year. You can read more about all of them at theskinny.co.uk slash film.
2: Well done, cinema. You know <laughs> Good what? job.
0: You know what? You did it, even though Marvel tried to stand in your way. <laughs>